This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Ayer, who specializes in mental health, sleep hygiene, and stress management. But before we begin, a few announcements. You know, if you want to help people with their career or help them move forward, please consider becoming a patron of our podcast. For every dollar we raise, we put that towards giving somebody a scholarships guide. And in that scholarships guide, we have over $120 million of scholarships. If you're looking for a scholarships guide for free where people have contributed to help out, Go to our Pay It Forward campaign. Real easy to find. It's right there on aviationcareerspodcast.com. Click on Pay It Forward. Uh, Also, the scholarships guide, again, is up to $120 million in scholarships throughout many different areas of the industry. I know we've been getting a couple questions about scholarships for adults. That's the section. You'll see it within the index, the scholarships for adults. So go check that out there, the scholarships for adults. If you're somebody who's like, finished with college, a little bit older, et cetera. We kind of put it there to make it easier for you to find, really easy to find on on the uh, website, though. Anyway, a beautiful day here in Lakeland, and joining me from Dallas, Texas, is Dr. Air. Dr. Air, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Carl. It's good to be here. You know, one of the things that many times we deal with is pilots, flight attendants, flight crew, mechanics, uh, airport workers, especially during this pandemic, but in general is stress. And we all deal with stress in, in many different ways. I know I do. My friends deal with it differently. Um, and there's there's one thing that I found is incredibly important, and that's our mental health. So we're going to talk a little bit of, about that today. So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about mental health. So tell us a little bit about what, uh, what you do and, and your background as far as stress management and mental health. So I'm a psychiatrist. I'm originally from Nigeria, did uh, my medical school in Nigeria and moved down to England in 2004, uh, where I continued with my uh, psychiatry training. Um, eventually moved down to uh, the United States in 2008, uh, currently uh, both certified in uh, general psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, addiction medicine as well as uh, lifestyle medicine. And the reason I've gone ahead to get all of those certifications is just to get myself as well-rounded as possible to be able to offer the best for uh, the patients I treat. Well, one of the things that I think is really important is the fact that we should uh, go towards someone like you has, who has an expertise in, in stress management and high, you know, mental hygiene, mental health, and, and sleep hygiene. Uh, one of the things that I think we don't really do as pilots especially is we don't reach out to somebody uh, when we have issues. And and that's really, really important. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're also going to talk about, you know, dealing with certain issues of mental health during especially this COVID-19, but, you know, other stressful periods. Uh, so let's talk there, first of all. What what exactly do we, we mean by, like, you know, these whole terms like sleep hygiene, stress management, and, and mental health in general? 
Yeah, um, Carl, just like I'm sure you know, being a pilot is one of the most noble professions in the world. But at the same time, it comes with a huge responsibility. Um, you know, part of that responsibility could also contribute to a pilot on airman just feeling uh, stressed out. And um, of course, when you add on the possible heavy flight schedules, uh, the length of flights, um, altered sleep cycles, uh, that could contribute to quite uh, some stress in in uh, in airmen. Now, um, I'd like to say that generally speaking, you know, apart from pilots, of course, everybody has some personal stressors going on, and this can be anything from as small as just family arguments, the financial difficulties, or illness, or even death of a loved one. Uh, in some cases, even positive events in life can cause stress and anxiety. So things like moving to a new location, marriage, having a new child, or the purchase of a new home, uh, these can all significantly contribute uh, to, to stress. You know, when, now that you're talking, it's really, I'm glad you brought up all these different stressors in our lives, because sometimes we get ourselves lately wrapped around this current stressful situation of COVID-19, and we forget that there's all these other stressors in our life, uh, especially the, you know, the death of a loved one, that type of thing, and that can affect our, our actual, our personal uh, lives. So now how do we, you know, we, we understand in general, most people do what stress is, um, but you know, how do we cope with that? How do we cope with the stress and also the negative ways of dealing with stress? And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yeah, that's um, that's that's uh, definitely a very very important topic for for a pilot and everyone in general as well. Um, I'm a strong proponent of the uh, of lifestyle medicine, and uh, when you look at the tenets of lifestyle medicine, we're talking about things like. Um, exercise, increased physical activity, healthy eating, proper hydration, avoiding risky substances like drugs and alcohol, um, sleep hygiene, maintaining and forming relationships, and mindfulness. Um, the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine recommends about 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week. And now that can be broken up in various ways. So you can decide to have that done two times a week or three times a week, four times a week, depending on what works for you. But the goal should be to get to about the 150 minutes of, of a moderate exercise um, a week. Of course, I'll always advise that for people who are not used to exercising regularly, you want to start slow. We'll take 10 minutes over nothing and then very slowly build up to 150 minutes and even more if you can. And then also when we talk about healthy eating, now there's a ton of diet out there. Again, the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine proposes a whole food plant-based diet predominantly. Uh, but what my advice to a lot of people usually is, is try staying away from a lot of the processed foods and the processed uh, drinks, which brings me to hydration. Rehydrating properly is just so important and could make a ton of a difference in terms of how you feel. Um, through the day. Um, we also talk about avoiding risky substances, cutting down on your alcohol consumption, avoiding illicit drugs like cocaine and meth and pain pills, cutting down on nicotine as well, and then the sleep hygiene as well. Um, on average, the recommendation is to get about seven to nine hours of sleep a day. 
Now, that's going to vary across the board. Um, there are going to be some people who require small amounts of sleep and some require more, but you want to make sure you get what's right for you, which usually averages about seven to nine hours of sleep uh, for most people. Um, and also, as, as humans, you know, Carl, we're, we're social beings. It's really important for us to be able to connect with people around us, to be able to connect with the family members, to connect with our friends as well, and to keep those relationships going. Um, right now, we're all really busy. We're in the jet age where everybody's so busy with a ton of stuff on their schedule. But it's really important to be able to pace yourself and from time to time ask yourself, what is it exactly that matters to you? You want to make sure you engage with friends, engage with family, and also be as mindful as possible. When I say mindfulness, I'm simply talking about just enjoying the moment you're in from time to time. I think the tendency for a lot of us is to just worry and worry and worry about what's coming up tomorrow and what's coming up in the future. And rightly so, we should. But at the same time, you want to enjoy every moment as it comes and soak it in. I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes we get so caught up. A lot of people listening to this are are actually moving forward in their careers, and we get caught up so much in moving forward that we forget to enjoy the moment, and uh, and we need to really do that. So um, true. One of the things that I think that we do is we forget about that though, because we we concentrate too much. So that that life balance, uh, it's something we have to consistently work on, right? It's not just something that happens. Yes, you're right, Carl. It's like you said, it's, it's a balance, right? And, you know, to a large extent, um, there are going to be times where because uh, of what you're doing at a certain time, you might just find out that you're busier than you otherwise have been. Um, if you are going to further your education, for instance, or take on some new courses, of course, you're going to be busy at that point in time. And, and the fact of the matter is that's going to affect some other aspects of your life. So I like to see it as a little bit more of a seesaw as compared to a balance, which is always there without emotion. Uh, the times you're going to be really busy, which means your personal life might suffer a little bit, but it's really important to pace yourself and try to reset that button and make up for the lost ground in terms of the other aspects of your life when you notice maybe you're putting in a lot of time towards work or schooling or education. When we recognize this and we recognize that we're we're stress making too many or putting too many stressors on our life, and we realize that we should exercise. We start this process of a lifestyle change. There are times though that you feel like you're doing a great job and you're moving forward, but we we don't always keep moving forward. Sometimes we take a step backwards, and and that's the time when it's hard to keep you know with this lifestyle change. What would you say to somebody there that that might be getting discouraged during that time period? You know how sometimes we just kind of level off or go backwards. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's that's usually for most people. Um, I, I don't think there's really anyone who stays consistently motivated. Um, the way I like to see it is we have a tank of motivation uh, that's going to fill up sometimes, that's going to go down sometimes. Uh, but we need to continue to work on it and put in the time, the effort to make sure we continue to top up our motivational tank, so to speak. And that can be done in various ways. Uh, from just listening to an inspirational, motivational podcast like 
this, for instance, to listening to other podcasts, reading motivational books, to having um, um, a workout body or a motivational body, so to speak, to give you encouragement. I think we all need to find out what works for us to continue to propel us to um, top up our motivational time because it will go down at some point. Wow. You know, I'm glad you said that, what works for us, because that's in all aspects, like, uh, you know, exercise you mentioned before, for instance, there's certain exercises that certain people enjoy and other people don't, don't enjoy. So that's something I think we need to have a little introspection and find out what works for us. And then we can move forward. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you agree with that statement. Oh, very true. And that's that's something I tell a lot of my patients, Carl. You know, as much as uh, I'm a strong proponent of exercising regularly, I always tell my patients as well that you have to find something that you enjoy doing. Um, there's a reason why a lot of people have gym memberships and very few people actually go to the gyms. Uh, if you don't find it interesting and exciting, running on a treadmill or spinning a bike a gym, chances are you're going to go for a week or a month and you're going to give up on it. But if you're really excited about a game like tennis, for instance, or basketball, chances are you're more likely going to do that more regularly because it's something you enjoy doing. So I think it's really important when we look out for activities uh, that we plan to stick with, to look out for activities that we actually enjoy. So that keeps us going. And, you know, the beauty of exercise is Studies have actually shown that exercise helps with stress relief, helps with depression, helps with anxiety. And that's because with regular exercise, you're able to release your own natural endorphins. These are your natural chemicals in your brain, which helps you feel better and which helps with your mental health overall. And, you know, talking about mental health, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the, I think mental health and aviation gained a lot of attention in 2015, following the uh, the German Wings uh, Flight 9525 crash, uh, which was a crash into the French Alps, killing 150 people on board. Um, at the time, investigators of this uh, tragic a- a- accident reported that the co-pilot had deliberately crashed the plane. Now, this co-pilot's history later revealed he had a history of depression. Now, I'd like to state, though, that not everybody who has depression has suicidal thoughts. It's very important for us to clarify that. And for those who have depression, it's always important to reach out for professional help. For those who have thoughts to hurt themselves, there's a suicide line, which you can always call 24 hours around the clock. So it's really important for us to do that. But, you know, globally, about 300 million people suffer from depression. So depression affects all races and all professions. Of course, airmen are not exempt. In fact, there was a Harvard study done in 2015 with a small sample of about 1,400 pilots. Out of this number, 12% met the criteria for depression. So I think it's really important that we all reach out for help whenever we're feeling depressed so that we get the necessary help we need. Glad you brought up reaching out for help. So again, going back to, let's talk a little bit about pilots. They're afraid to reach out many times because we're the ones that everybody relies on, right? And, and we're supposed to be the solid rock. But it is important to reach out. Reaching out properly, I think, is important too because the other thing that's going through a pilot's head especially and in flight attendants is, oh my gosh, I might lose my job if I reach out. Uh, but there's so many avenues you can go towards, so many avenues where it's confidential, correct? 
That's that's correct. Now, um, I know the FAA has the aviation medical examiners and pilots are expected to um, get their physicals done, I think, once a year, in some cases, twice a year as well. So I think I think that's very important. That will be a great stat. Um, and, you know, when we talk about depression, I'd also like to clarify, because what I see in a lot of cases is some people really don't know exactly what depression means. Um, as humans, we all have emotions, right? And there are times you're going to feel, you know, happy. There are times you're going to feel a little bit under the weather. There are times you're going to feel upset. You're going to feel angry. Um, it's, it's that the ups and downs. But with depression, there are certain cardinal symptoms people with depression have. So for you to say you're depressed, in most cases, it means you've had this pervasive depressed mood, usually lasting for a period of about two weeks. There's also a decrease in the interest or pleasure. You just don't enjoy doing things as much as you used to in, in the past. For some people, it's weight loss or even weight gain. For some people, it's sleeping excessively or not sleeping enough. Uh, sometimes there's some sluggishness or just feeling really agitated and antsy. For a lot of people, there's some fatigue, feelings of worthlessness, difficulty concentrating, and in some cases, even suicidal thoughts. Now, according to the DSM-5, which is kind of like the, the diagnostic book for psychiatrists, the expectation is you would have had at least five or more of the symptoms lasting for about the two-week period. And again, depression can be classified as mild, moderate, severe, depending on how impaired you are. So it's all about the functional impairment. So yes, it's exceedingly important to reach out. And there are many avenues uh, you can reach out to. There's some great programs uh, uh, like the HIMSS program as well. Uh, HIMSS, spelled H-I-M-S stands for Human Intervention Motivation Study. Uh, this is a substance abuse treatment program specific for uh, commercial pilots. And what it does, what this program does is it helps coordinate the identification, the treatment, and the return to work process for affected uh, aviators. Um, there's also the Beds of a Feather International Program. This is a program which is based on our colleagues' uh, anonymous model and teachings, and this is dedicated to pilots and aircrew members as well. And then, of course, associations like the Airline Pilots Association, which I believe is one of the largest, if not the largest, pilot union in the world. They have some resources there as well. The Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, also has um, um, services as well. I'm glad you brought up all those resources because in the show notes, we're going to have those resources uh, at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, and also, of course, uh, Dr. Ayer's website that uh, we'll have a link down below, uh, primepsychiatrymd.com, and his, his LinkedIn address. But I think reaching out is important. The other thing, too, that you mentioned, some of those tools that you've given us, um, somebody who's suffering from maybe a mild depression, et cetera, they can use those tools right now and and possibly change their life. I mean, just the, just the simple tools that you've given us as far as exercising, diet, hydration, et cetera, all those brought together can make a huge difference. But then there's a point where, like you said, if you have those five, five out of those symptoms, you may wind up being depressed and you might need to seek some help. And it's very important to seek that help. I know, and trust me, for those listening, I've done it. You know, I've been there, had, you know, where 
the programs that they have, like at the union, they reach out to you, say, after an accident or an incident, and you don't want to. You don't because you're the person that is supposed to be strong, and that's, you hear that uh, as a common theme. You don't want to reach out, but please do. I mean, there's some great resources, and as, as Dr. Ayer has said, that's for sure. Um, you know, one thing I do want to say that's kind of interesting, you mentioned about doing something, uh, exercising, changing lifestyle, uh, for your psychological well-being. And as people have listened to this show, I'm pretty transparent as to some of the challenges I have in life. One of those is with weight. And uh, I will have to attest to this, uh, to what you just said. I found something that I enjoyed exercising. Uh, I, I like bicycle riding and uh, was able to lose, lose like 30 pounds just from doing that. Uh, I tried all sorts of different exercise, but you have to find the thing that works for you. And, and so that's some great advice, and I really appreciate that. Moving on, though, after we've talked a little bit about depression, psychological well-being, et cetera, one of the things that we also have in life is the propensity towards uh, certain addictions. We, one of the things you find amongst pilots or in general is sometimes they'll gravitate more towards alcohol because it, that's one of the things that, that is a little bit more readily available, et cetera. But there are addictions in all different manners. So is it stress that causes addictions? I'm kind of interested what uh, how that works. Um, that's uh, that's a very important point you uh, you, you bring up, Carl. Um, like you, you you touched upon earlier on, um, for a lot of people, drinking alcohol is a common approach. Uh, they used to deal with uh, stress, and that's because they feel drinking will help with their stress. Um, now, unfortunately. It's a very slippery slope, and you can very easily go from having one or two drinks a day to having several drinks, and that can very, very easily spiral out of control. Um, a few years ago, the National Transportation Safety Board published a comprehensive report on drug use trends in the aviation uh, industry, and only a very small number of uh, airmen tested positive for illicit drugs, which is good. But of course, when it comes to aviation, you want that number to be zero, right? Um, now, the word addiction comes from the Latin term meaning enslaved by or bound to. And the American Psychiatric Association defines addiction as a complex condition, a brain disease that's manifested by compulsive substance use or other behaviors. And this is despite harmful consequences. So what we find out is that for a lot of people, whether it's drugs or alcohol, it takes over their life and they carry on using even when they know it will cause problems. That's because it's an addiction. And I think I'd also like us to clarify, because I think a lot of us tend to have a wrong impression about what someone who's addicted to drugs looks like. I think the, the assumption for a lot of people is there's this homeless guy who's shooting needles into his hands. And, but that's not always the case. We have functioning executives who are who are struggling with alcohol. We have the college student who's abusing Adderall. We have the stay-at-home mom who's um, um, struggling with chronic pain and is on a ton of pain medications. Uh, this reminds me of uh, a patient I treated uh, several uh, years ago. A stay-at-home mom, two kids, um, and she had, an, she had a motor vehicle accident about three years prior to when uh, she uh, met with me. So she was on, on a ton of pain medications. She had become addicted to the medications. She was looking for a way out. She had spent, at the time, about $30,000 on stem cell treatment. So she was willing to do 
anything to get away from the crowd. Um, you know, so there are various scenarios of people who are struggling with addiction. So I think I want us to get that clear, that it's not the reg, it's not the homeless junkie who's shooting needles. There's just a, a wide area, and it's really important for us to look out for that and get the help we need as soon as we can. Wow, well said. You know, I think we find that we tend to look at things a little differently and say, yeah, that's what we look towards as somebody who's addicted has the, those traits of the, the homelessness, et cetera. But no, I mean, there, there's addiction all around us. And that's what's hard is to help people that have addictions. And the reason being is you can't see it. You know, it's, it, it's not, it's everybody. It's throughout, it's pervasive throughout society. So we have to step forward sometimes if we need help. Um, but if you do see somebody that needs help, it, it, it's hard sometimes to approach that individual. Do you have any advice for somebody who, say, is living uh, with somebody? Because some people are listening to this and they're living with somebody, say, that has an addiction. How do you go about approaching them about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting one. Um, you know, I'll, um, I'll talk about uh, a woman who I saw several years ago and um she had uh, come to me at a time struggling with depression and anxiety, and uh, she said her depression had actually started several years ago when she was incredibly stressed out. Now, the reason she was stressed out at the time was because her husband was uh, using alcohol heavily, and um, she had done everything she could in terms of encouraging him and talking to him and trying to encourage him to, to go get the help he needed. Uh, she had talked to his family members, and I mean, it was just impossible for him to progress with it. So when it comes to addictions, unfortunately, in some cases, as much as we want to do everything to encourage uh, people uh, who need help to get the help uh, they need, in some cases, you find out, Carl, that until that person who's struggling gets to the point where he realizes he needs to get the help he needs or she needs to get, it might be quite difficult for them to move on. But that's not to say we give up on them. Uh, I'd say the most crucial things for people who are struggling like that are love and support. As hard as it may be, you have to continue to love them because with addiction, it's a crutch that just holds them down. Look, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to get addicted to cocaine. But it's a disease that just really pulls people down. So as hard as it may be, you want to continue to offer them all the love you can and all the support you can as well until they get to the point where they actually proceed to get some help. And that's what we should do in general with everybody and all their challenges. I think that's, a, that's some wonderful advice. Wanna, let's go towards the alcohol. Let's, let's kind of focus on that for just a second here, uh, because that's talked about a lot, it seems, uh, especially in the aviation world. W one of the misconceptions I've heard recently, uh, maybe because I've been going through some training recently with the airline I fly for, is the fact that I think most people feel that addiction usually is like hard alcohol or wine. They don't really associate with beer. It doesn't really matter what type of alcohol it is. It can be in different formats, correct? And you oh, can that, be addicted. Oh, that's correct. That's correct. So a lot of the patients I see, um, you know, come up with addiction to various forms of alcohol. Uh, you know, for some people it's wine. For some people it's 
um, um, liquor. For a lot of other people, it's, it's beer as well. I mean, I've had patients who drink as much as 24 packs of beer a day. And as you know, that's going to damage your body immensely. And of course, usually the liver is one of the first organs, you know, to take quite a brutal beating from that amount of uh, uh, consumption of, of alcohol. But it's, it's everything. It's, it's all the various uh, types of alcohol out there. So now we have, and there's lots of tools out there for these addictions and to help us uh, with, especially with alcohol, but all sorts of, of drugs, et cetera. And we, I think in, and this is non-scientific, but from my viewpoint of watching news, et cetera, and friends, it seems that people become a little more addicted during uh, these periods. Uh, well, here's COVID-19, for instance. Is that something that is, is normal or is that just something I'm seeing in the news? Well, you know, we've seen an uptake in the number of people who are coming to see us with um, struggles with drugs and alcohol. Now, you know, there's always been a pandemic and that has always been there with drugs and alcohol. But over the last several months, it's just gone up for several reasons. Um, you know, one of which is, um, you know, people just being at home more. Um, in the past, let's take an example of someone who will usually have a glass of wine when he gets back home every day and then drink a little bit more during the weekend. But now he's home every day, walking from home, maybe on a Zoom call without the video, and all of a sudden he realizes, well, I can very easily have a glass of wine or a shot of brandy as I walk. And a shot of brandy, they very slowly transitions into three to four to five by the end of the day. And then, of course, walking from home comes with its own unique issues as well. So you have more families spending more time together. So we're seeing more conflicts, more domestic conflicts, uh, more child abuse even, uh, more marital discord. And um, again, not being able to go out and interact with people as much as we've had in the past. Like we talked about earlier on, humans are social beings, right? And being stuck in the house, not being able to get out has a negative implication on a lot of people as well. And then you also have to add the other issues that have come about as a result of COVID-19. So job losses, for instance. I mean, you have people who had, you know, a job, were able to take care of their families and all of a sudden that's gone. There's no source of income. And for some people, the transition to alcohol does to help cope with this. So there's a ton of issues, you know, that COVID has created, which has unfortunately caused a spike in the uh, consumption of uh, drugs and alcohol. So we've defined some of the problems here. How about some tools? Let's talk a little bit about tools and how uh, we can help ourselves even online. For instance, is there uh, resources that we can go towards uh, that you might suggest? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, for people who are struggling with alcohol, drugs, or whether it's a mental illness, I think the very first thing you want to do is reach out. Uh, we talked about the suicide line earlier on, which you definitely want to contact or go to the ER if you're having thoughts to hurt yourself. But for mild cases of uh, depression or anxiety or or substance use, I think it's really important to reach out to. You can always start out with your primary care doctor. There's, of course, the, the medical examiners uh, uh, from the FAA. And, you know, with, with mild cases of depression, for instance, you know, I want to state that it's not always going to be a case of the 
a pile of being medicated. Um, so with a mild case of depression, for instance, really just lifestyle changes could actually take care of that. So having counseling, regular therapy sessions, exercising regularly, improving your diet, and just sleeping better could completely take you away, away from having to take any medications. But of course, if it gets to the point where the depression is really severe, I think your primary care or a medical examiner will let you know that perhaps you will need to take medications at this time. And I know that the FAA issued a new policy on antidepressants used in April 2010, which was updated in 2014. And currently, as far as I'm aware, there are only four antidepressants currently covered under the new policy. So there's Selexa, Prozac, Zoloft, and Lexapro. So this means for airmen who are feeling severely depressed, there are medications they can take under the guidance of the FAA. And I think the expectation is they're expected to be stable on those medications for at least six months. So there are ways you can actually get help. And then again, for medications, uh, sorry, for uh, drugs like alcohol as well, there's some medications as well uh, that can be used to treat this. So medications like naltrexone or Vivitrol help with cravings for alcohol. But I will always recommend you contact your aviation medical examiner to make sure this is a medication that you can take. Uh, because um, sadly, um, mental health happens to be about the second reason why a lot of pilots lose their lose their uh, medical certificates the first being cardiovascular diseases by cardiovascular diseases i mean heart, heart conditions and blood vessel conditions so you definitely want to reach out to uh the the, the medical examiner to make sure that's the route you want to go with that said, there are, even with the fact that people lose their medical because of depression, et cetera, or, or their psychological well-being and the addictions, et cetera, we really are making a difference. We are uh, able to work with the medical examiner and with the HIMSS program and with the unions, et cetera. So don't be, and I, I want to make sure this is absolutely clear, is that don't feel like you can't reach out. You can reach out and you can get your medical back, but just do it in the proper manner. This, just like Dr. Eris said, you know, consult with your medical examiner saying, this is what I need. This is my issue. What can I do? And they may have some really good advice. And if you're thinking of, of going to Dr. Eris and talking to him, uh, you know, you might want to consult with, you know, your medical examiner first. And I'm sure they'll understand and they'll they'll make you move forward in the proper manner, just like with your unions, et cetera. They'll, they'll give you the correct direction. Dr. Aaron, you know, yeah. this has really been, been awesome. What other information do you have for us as far as uh, for the pilots? I know there are some, some places we can go for addictions too, for some help online. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, uh, one of the things I'd like to point out, uh, uh, which you talked about, Cal, was reaching out. Um, that's that's something, as you as you know, um, a lot of pilots struggle with, and and I think in a way that has to do with the personality types, you know, that tend to seek aviation careers or hobbies, and usually these are people who are really confident and independent, always in control able to compartmentalize the problems and who are generally healthy. So it can be really hard for them to reach out and, and get help. Um, but there's a ton of resources out there. Um, you know, there's the FAA website, that's the HIMSS program, which is really, really good. Uh, Beds of the Feather International, 
There's the Airline Pilots Association as well. And, you know, to start with, you can always reach out to, you know, your primary care if you're not sure of exactly what's going on. Uh, because we talked about the symptoms of depression earlier on. Uh, because you're feeling a little blue does not necessarily mean you're depressed. There's symptoms, the cardinal symptoms that actually will lead to uh, that uh, diagnosis being made. But, you know, overall, how, you know, pilotized in professionals and uh, flying remains one of the safest forms of transportation. And the FAA has strict regulations to ensure safety. But there's always an opportunity for us collectively to do better in terms of uh, pilot mental health. And, you know, one way we can do this is, you know, asking for support and offering support. Uh, we must never underestimate how important this is. Um, I once talked to a guy uh, a few uh, months ago uh, who talked about uh, an experience he had with a friend. Um, he had slowly grown apart from a longtime friend and then um, uh, communication had been minimal and one day he decided to reach out with a text message. It was just a text message. What he did not realize, though, was at the time he sent his friend a text message, his friend had been going through a very tough time and was going to kill himself that day. He was actually in the process of tying a noose to hang himself when the text message came across. That singular text message from an old friend saved his life. I say this because I don't want us to underestimate the importance of reaching out, whether it's a text message an occasional phone call, it goes a very, very long way. We're all really busy and we all have our own issues we have to deal with, but that shouldn't stop us from reaching out as much as possible to others. Wow, what a story. And uh, I really appreciate you relating that to us because our network of friends uh, really is part of that reaching out. And uh, just a simple text can change someone's life. And that's a wonderful, wonderful example. Now, Doctor, how can they get in touch with you? I mean, is there a website where they can find you? Oh, definitely. So um, I can be reached on addictionblueprint.com. I can also be reached on primepsychiatrymd.com. Um, I also recently started a Facebook group called Inspiring Addiction Recovery. And this is a Facebook group where we offer tips and free resources and practical uh, guides just to help people um, live a better life, clean from drugs and alcohol, and hopefully get their, get their lives back. Doctor, this has been awesome. Is there anything else you want to say to the folks before we kind of wrap up here? I think I'd like to say as much as we can, give support and offer support. That goes a very long way. Well said, Dr. Aaron. You know what? We all have challenges in life. And by you know giving support and offering support, uh, I think we make this life a much better place. You know, I, I always equate life to, you know, filling everybody's buckets. And by doing that, our bucket overflows. And in giving support and also receiving support, I think that's that's very true. And one of the things I think if you are concerned and you need help, reach out to us. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We will forward some of those 
questions to Dr. Air, check out those websites, uh, addictionblueprint.com. And also at the bottom of the, of the website, we'll have links to everything, primepsychiatrymd.com. And we really hope that Dr. Air is going to come back on and talk some more about our, our health, our, our mental health. It's a holistic approach like we do with our career coaching. We look at everything because it is important to look at everything in life, the whole person. Uh, but this has absolutely been awesome. And I hope that you have taken away some really good points from Dr. Eric. Dr. Eric, again, thanks again for being here. Thank you very much, Carl. If you're thinking right now that you may need to reach out or you know someone that may need to reach out, use those tools that are at the bottom of our website. But, you know, one thing that I really want us to focus on now, and the reason I wanted to have Dr. Air on, is I want us to focus on our cells. And, and that's really what I talk about a lot is, is our cells and, and trying to focus on our own mental health, physical health, uh, and also our career health. That's really important. But the most important thing is when I don't, after you hit stop, don't just stop there. Try to do something small. Maybe it's texting a friend. Just like Dr. Ayer said, maybe it's texting a friend. Maybe it's something as simple as calling a friend, a relative, someone you care for. But the most important thing is I need you to do something after you turn this off. Do something small, do something large, but I really want you to do something to move forward in your career, in your life. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, all rights reserved.